sweet friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Corinne Safeli. I'm a certified health coach and I'm in training to become a breathwork facilitator. I'm really looking forward to having some of the upcoming podcast episodes actually be short breathwork, guided breathwork practices that you can utilize in the morning or in the middle of the day when you're feeling stressed or triggered by food fears or or body image. I'm going to definitely be having some of the podcast episodes here be short little guided breathwork and I'm super pumped. So I want to thank you so much for listening and hanging out with me today. If you're a new listener, hey, what's up? Welcome to the Potty Pod. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. I'm so grateful to have you here, and it means so much to me to know that the podcast has been valuable enough such that you are returning for more. Love, love, love that. Today, we have an awesome interview with a registered dietitian named Shauna Spence. You might know her as the Nutrition Tea on Instagram. We talk about several topics, including what she didn't learn in school while becoming a dietitian, the social justice side of healthcare and the the public health side of weight stigma and diet culture. We talk about celebrity culture and weight stigma, and we talk about food scarcity. And we also talk about the overlap of health, nutrition, wellness, and diet culture, because they're so interconnected in so many ways. And often, The picture of health that is painted for us is one that requires so much privilege to attain. And it can be one that also fills us with shame if we don't live up to the high expectations of these perfect looking smoothie bowls and, you know, like looking gorgeous and glowy after a workout or yoga or these farm to table meals or having all of the latest superfoods and adaptogens, you know, in our coffees and teas and all the things. (laughs) And look, I will be the first to admit, first to admit and own that I really do love a lot of the bougie wellness shit. I really do. I genuinely love a cold pressed green juice, even if it is $15. And I love MCT oil in my coffee. I love going to the farmer's markets on Sundays. I really like my red light therapy and my infrared saunas. I'm not denying it and I'm not hiding that. But I am also not unaware that these are privileges. A lot of them are inaccessible to a lot of people. And I know that real health and well-being doesn't necessarily require these fancy things. For many people, health and wellness is going to come from getting their basic needs met, which can be challenging for a lot of people. And we do talk about that today with, with Shauna. And I also know that the Instagram version of health and wellness is not the only way to take care of your health and wellness. In a lot of ways, a lot of what we see online as being health and wellness are extras. They're like sprinkles on top of the cupcake. But even without the sprinkles, you're still going to have a delicious cupcake. But we like sprinkles, right? Sometimes we like sprinkles. (laughs) So there is nothing wrong with aspiring or desiring the wellness lifestyle that we see on Instagram and and, uh, across social media. Part of the reason why I'm bringing this up though is because I've also had a lot of conversations with various coaching clients over the years who feel so much comparison 
and feelings of inadequacy and feeling like they're not good enough because their life doesn't look like the life that they see in those square pictures or they're like I needed this person's doing that and they're doing that and this person's doing that and I need to do all of those things and if I'm not uh, you know like I'm inadequate (laughs) I'm not good enough and sometimes we can feel like we have to do all of those things in order to be healthy and we have to do it in this picture perfect way that we're seeing and if we don't then we're failing in some way and damn that is so stressful right like that is so stressful so I kind of see the, I see, I have like a very holistic view of health and wellness and taking care of health. And in this episode with Shauna, we do explore some of these topics. We explore what we're sold as being key to improving our health, like what we're sold as wellness and what we need individually and culturally to actually improve our health uh, across the population, you know, at a population level. And If you are someone who is committed to healing your relationship with food and you still deeply value health, like you, you do really want to find a way to take care of your health in a sustainable way that doesn't stress you out, then I'm so excited to share with you that next month inside Food Body Soul, the membership, this is our theme. I'm so pumped to be diving into supporting the women in there and those of you that choose to join in living a life in alignment with your value to take care of your health. And something that I've learned over the years, I've been a coach now for over three years, it's that most of the people that I work with truly value their health. They want to feel good. They don't like that they keep binge eating on foods that physically don't make them feel great. Or they don't like that their food fears are keeping them from undernourishing their body so they're tired and fatigued and have brain fog. You know, a lot of the women that I've worked with have legit medical issues like PCOS or autoimmune disorders or diabetes, and they want to heal their relationship with food and they want to take care of their health, but they're not sure how to do that without dieting. They're not sure how to do that without restriction or without falling back into that. And so next month, The month of June, inside my membership, Food Body Soul, which if you're not familiar, it's a monthly group coaching program, community, and sisterhood where I guide you into healing your relationship with food, finding confidence in your body, and cultivating a deeper connection to yourself. But next month's theme is all about this. And I'm really excited about this topic and about the opportunity to guide the ladies that are already in there and those of you that choose to join in living a life more in alignment with your value for health and well-being. You will be learning how to take care of your health in a sustainable way, in a way that is accessible to you, that is not stressful, but rather it's truly enriching. It's in a way that does bring you joy, that does result in you feeling the way that you most desire to feel, that does support you in eating in a way that is alignment with how you want to be eating and exercising and, and incorporating movement in a way that is joyful and intuitive and isn't based in shame or obligation or punishment. And I'm just super pumped. It's one of my favorite topics. I feel like I could just, I have so much to say. We're going to be going into it so deep inside Food, Body, Soul in the month of June. So if you want to get on the wait list for that, because doors are only open for two days at the very beginning of June, if you want to get on the wait list so that you make sure that you don't don't miss 
the opportunity to join, you can do so at foodbodysoul.co. Again, that's foodbodysoul.co. And you'll see uh, a button near the top that says join the wait list. So be sure to go get on the wait list if you want to learn how to take care of your health without dieting and without restriction and finding a way to really honor your body and honor your well-being that isn't rooted in diet culture um, because as you guys might know, diet culture's picture of health is often really stressful and often not sustainable with everyday life. So I'm really excited and I'd love to have you in there. If you want to learn more, go to foodbodysoul.co and I'm going to stop rambling. Let's get into today's interview with the incredible Shauna Spence. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist based in New York. She labels herself as an eat anything dietitian. Life is already complicated. Why restrict yourself? She wants to create a platform for open discussion on nutrition and wellness topics, considering all of the information circulating, circulating around these days. Was she always interested in nutrition? No. In the not so long past, she worked in the fashion industry and hated it. Joke to herself, she got a BS in fashion merchandising. Get it? She decided to make a change, go back to school, and became involved in food policy and public health. And update, she loves what she is doing and she wants to share as much as possible. So without further ado... Let's get into today into today's interview with the lovely Shauna Spence, also known as the Nutrition Tea Online. So I didn't get into like this whole high diet um, movement until maybe a year and a half ago or so, um, and it sort of made me think back to uh, growing up and. I would really say it started in high school. Um, I know for a lot of people, it probably started a lot younger, which is very understandable, but definitely high school, you know, that's usually when you see changes and all of that, and it carried through college. So um, also I was taking a lot of dance classes and you're always looking in the mirror, like all of that stuff. So it sort of got me thinking about um, kind of how I counsel now and sort of what I kind of talked myself into doing and sort of how I talked myself into kind of looking at my body in a different way and just really um, sort of viewing it as something that I'm going to have throughout life. So let's love it. Let's be kind to it. Right. Um, and just sort of that's kind of what I want to translate into when I t talk to people either personally or through social media. So it was through your own experience. So, mm -hmm. and you had said that you've only come to the anti-diet space in the last year and a yeah. half. Mm -hmm. So, so what was it like pre-discovering the anti-diet world? Yeah, well, you know, in school, so I'm kind of a new dietitian um, and in school, and I think with every health profession, honestly, um, we learn like the standard way of viewing bodies, right? We learn about numbers, you know, BMI, scale, all of that. And so I kind of went through school, you know, just studying that because that's what we we're told. So I was like, of course it has to be true, right? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it really didn't hit me until I was finally a dietitian. And then um, kind of looking at social media and seeing all of these anti-diet, 
um, you know, posts and then um, reading about books and then actually reading the books. You know, I really didn't know about things like intuitive eating until like that year and a half ago. And I remember it was through our food and nutrition conference that like all the dietitians go to. And that was the first time I've heard of the concept. And that's sort of what made me kind of spark my interest and look into this a little bit deeper, just because we were not taught that in school. And we're, you know, people are still not being taught that in school. So that's sort of where a lot of weight stigma comes from, because we're taught to view a person as a body size and a number, you know, not, not really, unfortunately, as a person <laughs> with other needs. So um, yeah, so I'm new sort of to this, but I, I love, you know, talking about it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And it, I'm curious if discovering intuitive eating, did that play a role in your own personal healing? Or do you feel like you were at a solid place before that? Oh, no, um, definitely. You know, even before, like when I learned about intuitive eating, I was still, I wouldn't say I was counting calories, but I was definitely one of those people that was like, very conscious of what I ate, I'll say that. Um, and, you know, just being a dietitian, of course, people are always looking at your plate, right? We're always being asked what we're eating, or, you know, someone will say, well, what should I eat? And so you're super self-conscious of what, even like talking about food, it's like, okay, is this healthy enough? You know, what, what am I doing here? So yeah, it, it definitely helped my own journey just because I'm thinking, why, why am I like this? <laughs> and um, it, it really does help when you look at um, eating as a whole, you know, as a concept, because we're all born intuitive, you know, with the intuitive eating concepts, you know, when you look at kids eating or even babies, they stop when they're full, right? They are, you know, we're not being, we're not kind of going along with um, like an app or anything like that. So I just think it's really important for people to kind of look at and rethink and it helped me. So I think it really does help others as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Right on board mm -hmm. with you. So going back to, you had said that in medical school, or I'm sorry, in nutrition like school, nutrition, being in yeah. nutrition school, <laughs> yeah, becoming a registered dietitian. <laughs> I had just interviewed a doctor right before you. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that you're taught to look at people's body sizes, mm -hmm. right? And, and in, in some framework, a little bit of a dehumanizing way without being critical or condescending, I think reform in our education system absolutely needs to take place. But I'd love to actually talk a little bit about uh, like health and taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And this isn't necessarily maybe how they talk about it in school, but like wellness culture, for example. So you had this incredible post on Instagram and you said what society emphasizes for health, mm -hmm. apple cider vinegar, organic food, superfoods, fad diets, thin ideals. Mm -hmm. And you had said what needs to be addressed for health is poverty, racism, other biases, access to healthcare, access to clean water, social connection, and access to food options. Mm -hmm. So not only looking from what you, you were taught in school, but then also just what we're taught on a, a population level. Can you explain this a little bit further? Definitely. Um, and, you know, just to, sorry, just to note, there's so much more um, because I, I was looking at some of the comments and um, I did not expect that post to... <laughs> 
to do that, um, by the way. So um, I was kind of surprised, but it really, I was glad in a way because that meant that it resonated with a lot of people. And um, I was looking at some of the comments of that post and people were adding like other things that definitely also are a factor. So yes, I just want to acknowledge, yes, you know, there's so much more. I just have limited uh, space to talk about it on Instagram. <laughs> but yes, but back to your question, um, you know, we did like, learning, um, I don't know what doctors, you know, went through with learning, but definitely for nutrition, we had to learn about community nutrition. And all of those things definitely were talked about, but I don't think they were emphasized enough. Um, just looking at it from, you know, when I was a newbie, uh, an intern and in, working in a hospital. And, you know, a lot of times you would get a list of patients to go see, you would go, you would give them a nutrition counseling, you're like in and out. But the issue that I had was just that whenever I was counseling these people, and this was a community hospital, it was a problem because so many people would say, well, where am I supposed to get these foods? You know, here I was again, being taught that, you know, to look at a person as a number and, you know, counsel them on weight loss and all of these things, but you're not really asking, well, do you have access to food? You know, how, how, um, are you being treated by society? Are you being stigmatized? Is that affecting your mental health? You know, you're not really asking these questions. So, you, you know, you're just telling someone, well, you know, eat some kale and you'll be fine. And that's not the case. You know, you have to find out how long it takes someone to get kale. Do they have the money to afford kale? So all of these questions. And I just, I think that um, kind of what inspired me to do that post also was just that a lot of times people tend to look at celebrities for, um, or not even celebrities, maybe just like very popular um, social media handles that aren't too well-versed in nutrition. Um, I'm not gonna name names, but people probably know like the celebrity I'm talking about. Um, and they, you know, they always post about, you know, these bad items and food items and all of these things. And, you know, all, of course, all of it's being sold. But these things aren't, you know, they're not really for the general public. A lot of times they're expensive and also they're unnecessary. I just want to make that also super clear. Like you don't need all of these supplements, you know, supplements are fine if you want them, but you don't need some of them out there. And when I say supplements, I don't mean vitamins. I'm talking about like the powders and, you know, all of that other fancy stuff. So I think it's just super important for people to address that um, just because I don't think it's being addressed enough. And I kind of just made that post um, just because I saw a new item being put on that website and I did not expect the post uh, to resonate with so many people, but again, I'm glad it did. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like it goes into privilege um, to think that it's, you know, about apple cider vinegar and, and superfoods and all these fancy things where like for a lot of people, health is like, I just need to get my basic needs met exactly. and I'm not even getting my basic needs met. And now you're telling me that I need to go buy this $80 adaptogenic powder. Like I can't even mm -hmm. get enough food on the table. Right. Or I'm right. working multiple jobs. So I, I loved that you had that post. I want to go a little further into that. Mm -hmm. I, completely was buckled into the wellness world. I live in Los Angeles. Like I was mm. on the superfood train. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I live in LA. I've been here since I was 18. You know, it's like, I feel like just my opinion, the epicenter of like the wellness thing. Um, you've talked about how superfood is just a buzzword. 
it's used for marketing. You said mm-hmm. superfoods don't exist. Can you explain that a little bit further? And how do, and you've kind of already said this, but maybe there's more, you know, mm-hmm. if we're not needing to take expensive superfood powders and all of these things, how else do we take care of ourselves? Yeah. You know, superfoods aren't, and I don't even like, honestly, I don't know what I said, but something along the lines of like, it's not that they're super, they don't have powers. They just have marketing, um, which is fine. Again, if you, if you enjoy that stuff, um, that's fine. I'm not saying not to have it. I'm just saying it's not necessary. (laughs) There's a difference. Right. Um, and so when you look at these lists of superfoods, one, they always change. So, and you know, there are always these items also that have been around for ever. You know, I notice I'm seeing a lot of like things like turmeric or turmeric, however you want to say it. Um, that spice has been around forever. Um, and so now it's becoming popular. Um, but, you know, you have to really acknowledge where it's coming from. You know, the fact that many ethnicities have used this way before it became um you know, marketed, I'll put it that way. And so I think that that's another problem with things like superfoods, chia seeds, you know, those are very um, pop, not popular. They're a cultural food for Mexican heritage. That's very rarely acknowledged. um, And I wish it was. So, you know, that's another issue that I have with superfoods. Um, I feel like that's another podcast episode, but anyway. Um, But yeah, I just, I think that there are definitely ways to optimize your health. Like I'm a dietitian, of course, I want you to do that. You just don't have to shell out unnecessary money. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I want to put out there. But I think for one, not that I'm a fan of saying the word balance, but, you know, we definitely need to diversify our palate. I'll say that or diversify our plate. Sorry. Um, you know, definitely getting in fruits and vegetables, like, Again, I'm a dietitian, so yes, I want you to eat your fruits and veggies. The thing is that I'm not going to criticize you if your veggies or fruit came from a can or if they're frozen, because to me, that's still eating vegetables and fruit, which I want you to do. And if that's all you can afford, that's that's fine. Um, so you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Where yes, you know, vegetables, fruit, whole grains, you know, um, lean meats like that you know, those are things that we want. Those are things that we emphasize. It just gets very lost in translation in the diet world um, or diet culture world. So that's kind of the issue that I have with it. But yes, like optimizing your health is really just making sure that your plate is colorful, right? Like you're getting all of these nutrients in some way, somehow, they just don't have to be superfoods. They can be canned beans, which are still vegetables. So that's, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do. I was wondering if you want, if you, you had said it's a different podcast, but it's part of the issue with, you know, celebrating, like mm-hmm. we celebrate chia seeds and chia seed pudding exactly. and chia seed water, right? <laughs> There's sort of this like cultural appropriation and like totally. co- colonization aspect to these superfoods, right? Like maca, I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly where it's from, but I think it's an Incan superfood. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that kind of what you were getting at? That's what I was getting at. And I didn't, you know, I, I can, I feel like sometimes I can like ramble about the topic because it's just very, um, it's sort of infuriating when you see it being posted about this new discovery. And it's like, no, it's new for you. That has been around for many, many years. 
um, and is used by many cultures and the same cultures that are that are being told that their food isn't healthy. You know, so that's kind of the problem that I have with it is that we're, we're seeing all these, I mean, look at avocados. You know, I remember growing up, you know, my dad's Jamaican, he would eat avocados every day. And, you know, and it wasn't big. And now it's like, it's crazy. They're so, they're so expensive um, because everyone's discovered them now. But, you know, those, those avocados have been around long before they were avocado toast, you know? So that's, that's sort of what I'm getting at. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fine to eat these things. You know, we should be enjoying other cultures and other ethnic foods, but just acknowledge that it was here before you discovered it. <laughs> so yeah. Before the fancy marketing. Exactly. That too. Yeah. 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 So let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, something you talk a lot about on your Instagram, on your platform, uh, is weight stigma and how mm. it's both a social justice issue and also a public health issue. Why is that? Weight stigma, it really, so this sort of also ties into the whole concept of, um, I'm sure by now people have seen um, the BMI and why we sort of want to get away from that. Um, there's, you know, there's many reasons and people don't really understand when we say that something is racist or, um, you know, a stigma, people kind of, you know, they're quick to be defensive. And I 100% I am in agreement with saying that not everything stems from racism, but this definitely does when you look at the historical um, facts about BMI. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, first of all, it was made by a mathematician, okay, not a physician. And he even said himself that this isn't to be used for any like health reason. So he took, he only, um, to come up with the formula, he only used white men. So this also excludes women, you know, any uh, race. So that's, that's like one big red flag, right, out of many. Um, another, another one is that um, he even said, you know, this, this is to be used to prove um, how high up, you know, whites are. And so that's racist, right? So, you know, when people, when we talk about this, I just want people to realize like all of these things stem from sort of a racist platform. And when you really look at how um, now insurance plans use it as a way to disregard somebody and all of that, you really have to question things. You have to kind of unfortunately follow the money. Um, and I'm getting like way off topic here, but you know, BMI, <laughs> BMI, yes, it's definitely an issue and it's a social justice issue just because um, a lot of times, especially when I was in school, I remember learning about something like diabetes and just being told, yeah, well, you know, blacks and Latinos they have high, you know, high risk of diabetes. That was it. No one ever questioned why. And, you know, so when we look at, we look at things, you have to dig deeper, like, okay, that might be a statistic, but why is that? It's because they're not getting access to healthcare. They're not, you know, they're living in poverty. They're not getting the insurance like other people are getting. So you have to dig deeper. You can't just make statements like, yeah, like, you know, Latinos have high risk of diabetes. You know, Native Americans, also have like one of the highest risk factors, but you look at how they're treated. So you have to look at all of these things. And that's, that's kind of why social justice is so important. And I don't think it's talked about 
enough um, within within the health field. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think if we were to really look at these uh, other larger social systems and social structures mm -hmm. that are at play, then we would have to do something about it. And we couldn't exactly. just like pass on responsibility. And I really think that so many of the powers that be just want to keep the power structure in place. And yep. <laughs> as opposed to looking at, well, why are they in poverty, right? Like, why are they underinsured? Why do they have limited access to health care? Like, those are really big issues that would need to be mm -hmm. addressed if you were to actually talk more about it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a shame because um, unfortunately the systems in place are there for a reason. Um, and, you know, it's very obvious, very evident that when we, you know, being taught in school and, you know, even, even as um, a black woman, when I was being taught this, like I kind of just went along with it because you think, well, this is coming from, you know, my professor who is like really high up. So you just go along with it, not questioning it. And then it, you know, then you get to the outside worlds and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> why, why are these things happening? So it's just, it's really important to kind of talk about and, and get the word out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I am curious looking back now, like, like you had said, you were in school and you would just kind of take what they they taught you. I think that that's like something that a lot of us do when we're, mm -hmm. you know, young and impressionable and, and we're in school. Uh, what do you think would need to happen in order for our education to have more nuance, right? To, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what would it take to get it there? Why is it not there? Just, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think just more, Honestly, I, I know this is like a big theme, um, but diversifying leadership is just a very big, um, I, think, I think it's needed, um, you know, and yes, there are different, um, you know, BIPOC, right, when we use that term, different ethnicities and roles, but unfortunately, you know, having someone, um, a person of color, just in charge of diversity and not being included in other discussion in discussions, that's still not helping, you know, so you're giving them like these, these tools just to, you know, kind of make, you know, uh, not real changes. And um, I think we need to have more people at the table, more women at the table, more, um, even more like non-binary people, like just more diversity in general is just super important because these things aren't going to be discussed if they're not being represented by leadership um, and by people who can actually make a difference and kind of insert these changes. So there, there just needs to be more representation. Yeah, love that, great answer, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so quote from you on your, your uh... Instagram that I really love. Totally different topic. Okay. <laughs> totally different topic. Uh, you said that happiness is not the absence of problems. It's the ability to deal with them. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I just, I always kind of think, and again, like, I just want to make it clear, like I'm not like um, a therapist or in any way, but this is just based on my experience. Um, I just feel like we're all, well, most of us um, are adults, right? I'm sure listening to your podcast, most of us are adults. And I just think that with adulthood, and even if you're not an adult, we all, there's always going to be something happening in life. Like life just isn't perfect all the time. 
Um, and, you know, there's always something big or small. And it's really just the ability to deal with these quote unquote problems or issues, how we do it, you know, or, or even, um, dare I say, like making sure you, you get um, help when needed, you know, sometimes for myself, that's one thing I had to learn. I was afraid to ask for help, right? I just, I was just like, no, I can figure it out on my own. I can do this. And it's like, no, you know, sometimes we just need help. And so, you know, no, you're not going to, it's not always going to be happy and, you know, joyful. Um, but, you know, it's really how we deal with it. How, how are you dealing with it? Um, I, I talk about self-care a lot too, just because I think that, it's, I know it's like a fun media term too, but like, it's important to talk about, you know, because a lot of times we aren't doing self-care, even if we think we are, we're not. So <laughs> that's what I, that's what I kind of meant by that quote. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved it. I think probably part of the reason why I pulled it out and wanted to talk about it further is because I find this Thing with clients, I hear it quite a bit of they're like, I had a really bad, you know, body image thought today, or like I had this fear of food. And it's like, we have this idea in our brain that like recovery and healing means no more problems. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no, nah, that's not what this means. It means that you learn how to manage your emotions. You learn how to feel them. You learn how to take care of yourself in the midst of them, as opposed to, you know, turning to your maladaptive coping mechanisms that aren't helping you in the long run. So I just love that you brought it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm excited to chat with you about this, uh, this topic. It's about body positivity and celebrity culture. You know, you've talked about this on your Instagram people in this space. I mean, sure. All celebrities are kind of under a microscope, but many mm -hmm. celebrities get a lot of hate when they buy into diet culture and detoxes. If they were at some point put on this pedestal as being body positive influences or fat positive influencers, whether they kind of ask for it or not, like they're, they just get put on this, this pedestal. So, mm -hmm. you know, how can we fight back against, like take a stand for wanting to to not be a part of, of diet culture, of the toxic nature of diet culture, um, but then not create more harm for people who, while maybe celebrities are also in marginalized bodies that are discriminated against. So a little bit of like the dichotomy with Lizzo and what happened like earlier in 2021, I believe it was this year or was it 2020? I don't remember. I, I know like right time is flying by. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gosh, you know, I felt so bad for her. I, um, and it's like, she received so much, um, you know, like you said, so much hate, I, I just want to say. And, you know, when you kind of look at, you look at this woman who has so much confidence and she's just really inspiring to so many people. But the thing is that she never really, ever really said that she was this body positive activist. She never said that. She just was a badass. She just is this really great singer who can also play the flute, who is like dancing and all these things. And it's like, but she never said, you know, but we're looking at her as an activist. So I think that was the problem one. And two, I think people just forget, especially when it comes to celebrities, they're human. Um, I, I know that it's hard to believe when you're looking at someone um, who seems untouchable, someone that we don't know, but you know, these people are human, they're people. And you know, one, you're always gonna make a mistake, like no one's perfect. 
Um, and two, you have to realize that they are still just as, even with all this money and fame, they're just as susceptible to diet culture as us normal people, <laughs> um, you know, as was Lizzo. And I, I know she gave the uh, kind of, I don't want to call it an excuse, you know, she's, but, you know, she kind of explained that she was doing it for her skin or, you know, but honestly, like, that's, that's what people say when they're doing detoxes. And we know that that's not really the whole picture, um, you know, but again, and I kind of put that in my post um, at like, I think it was like 10 PM when I was just getting this, this news. And I kind of like quickly put together a post, like, please don't blame her, you know, get mad at diet culture, because once again, diet culture is striking, even the most amazing people, it is still striking them down. So it's like, it's not Lizzo or any other celebrity. Um, it's diet culture, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough, because that kind of just goes to show you that this industry just has a hold on so many people. And I, and also, you know, you said celebrity, but also to make it clear, like dietitians, right? We <laughs> like, especially like us anti-diet dietitians, you know, we also are not perfect. And we go through this all the time as well. Like sometimes there are days that I have where I'm just like, oh boy. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard. That's, that's what I'm trying to say is that it's not, um, it's not an easy thing to just let go of diet culture. Um, it, you know, especially when you're under a microscope, um, it's hard. So I, I really, I felt for her. I, I was not, I was not upset. And unfortunately I was not surprised. Like I, you know, I, I'm not very uh, into celebrity culture. So of course I even got the news late, um, but I, I wasn't surprised, um, unfortunately. I was just, I kind of literally thought diet culture strikes again. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love that distinction, you know, of like not blaming the individual, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but really looking at the larger systems and, and really understanding that this was diet culture at play. What are, like, what other ways can we really do that? Meaning holding more compassion for somebody who's at the effect of diet culture is under scrutiny. And I feel like in some ways Lizzo can't win. Like she's always, you know, you had that whole Jillian Michaels thing. Oh, like, God. it's like, you <laughs> that name. I'm just like, ah, yeah. I know. I, she's, <laughs> she's not a very nice person. No. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, and not even just about Lizzo or just about celebrities, but in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think something that a lot of people come up against when they just get into introduced to intuitive eating and they just get introduced to weight science and weight stigma, a lot of us want to take on, I mean, some of us don't want to take on any type of uh, sharing what we've learned with people because it feels like confrontation, but then others of us get really triggered and like want to like bolster up and be like calling people out. And I think there's a time and a place for calling people out, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. educating, sharing new perspectives. But what could somebody do in their life? Like how else can they hold diet culture responsible without blaming individuals who've been at the effect of the oppression that it causes? Yeah, I think just by really acknowledging it, especially on social media, um, because, you know, let's face it, social media is where most people are, you know, even if you don't have Instagram, you have like some form of social media. Um, and, 
you know, it's, it's so important when things like this happen, you know, especially one, obviously don't, you know, go directly to Lizzo. I mean, I know she's not really viewing all the comments, you know, she has a team, but she knows about them and they're still hurtful. So one, you're not really helping the situation by getting angry, right? Especially at this individual. Yes, get angry, but not, not at Lizzo. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just so important to really acknowledge, you know, um, and also, you know, it's, it's really time to also not to like, I'm just bringing it up because you mentioned um, Jillian Michaels, but you know, she, she's one of many, honestly, who have these thoughts and views and they're very problematic. Um, and it's really important. So you see these posts that they're making. So I always suggest to people don't comment on them just because one you're making them blow up even more um two these people are never going to see your comments let's be real like jillian michaels is not going to answer you let's be honest <laughs> right but i always say even if you have a small following make a counter post about why this actually isn't the case you know so let's talk about lizzo doing the detox diets don't you know post about that why don't you post about hey this is why detox diets don't work. Um, they, you know, they, you don't need them. You have liver, kidney, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, that's what I suggest just because the more I've just noticed that people tend to go directly to the source. Um, and in most cases, these sources are huge. They're not going to answer you. You're just blowing up their presence even more, um, believe it or not. So I, that's kind of my theory. That's what I do. I tend to make counter posts because <laughs> um, I don't, you know, try to stay away from the drama that way. But yeah, that's sort of my theory. And I think it works just, you know, there are people that need to see it and there's just other ways to go about it. <laughs> I think that's a great practical tip. Like I know lots of other health coaches or aspiring health coaches or online diet people who want to build an online presence like that. They're listening. And that's a really great tip is when you see something that you're triggered by, or you don't agree with, instead of getting all trolly in the comments, exactly. Express yourself, you know, on yeah. your own, on your own feet. I love that. Yeah. Cause even like, just honestly, even for people that, um, that don't have big followings or, you know, even if your comment is right, you know, it's definitely correct. It's still not really helping um, to get into an argument. <laughs> it's, it's just not, you know, even if you technically aren't a troll, um, it's just not helping. So it's always easy to like make your own and just give reasons why. So that's, that's my tip. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm curious of your thoughts on, so, and this is just a question on the cuff. Mm -hmm. um, we had talked about, you know, holding compassion for Lizzo and, and not blaming her, uh, for being at the effect of diet culture, being influenced by it. What about people like Julian Michaels, you know, who are super steeped in it? What do you say? I, you know, um, I still don't think it's a good idea to go like directly like on her page and comment. It's because the thing with, the thing with people like that, um, honestly, they have to want to see the difference and want to change themselves. Um, you throw, like, I, I don't agree with her at all. Um, in any way, I just want to make that clear. Like I'm not a sympathizer. <laughs> I don't agree with her tactics at all. I just, I just feel like it's not productive to go to her because, you know, this woman, she's never going to see my comment. Um, and plus 
let's be honest, her whole platform, she sells her workouts, she sells books. Um, I don't know if she still had this, but she like has pills, you know, all of these things. And, you know, that's, that's her income. Um, so, you know, I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. I mean, I think that she could do wonders by like really investing in this new idea of um, like haze or intuitive eating or whatever you want, you know, um, for sure. But I, I just think that people like that, unfortunately, have to want the change themselves. Like, you know, even for someone like myself, I wasn't automatically into the anti-diet world. I wasn't because I was still thinking about what I was taught in school. You know, when I first learned about health at every size, I like, I laughed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then here, and then look at me now, you know, that's all I talk about. So I think it's just, you have to want to change. You have to be open to wanting new information um, because there's, there's really no other way. You know, I, I see even on Twitter, you know, other dietitians who are very dismissive of haze and, you know, all of that, I see their posts and it's just kind of, it's sad because they talk about, well, it's not based in science. I'm like, actually it is. You're just not reading it. <laughs> so I, you know, it, it drives me crazy too, when they say that, like I'm evidence-based, I'm like, haze and intuitive eating are also evidence-based. Like you're just not reading it. Um, so yeah, so that's, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think I have a great answer to that. I just feel like you have to be open to change. <laughs> I think that was a great answer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> totally. Cause I agree with you. I think that if you're not willing to look at uh, other information that doesn't confirm your already existing bias, you're talking to a freaking brick wall. But if someone exactly. is like, Hey, I'm open, I'm open to considering the possibility that this exactly consider. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's all we're asking for. <laughs> yeah. And I was the same way. The first time I read Health at Every Size, I had a lot of resistance. Like when I was reading it, I was like, because it just, it challenged everything that I was led to everything. believe. Exactly. So I get it. Like when someone, you know, not, not, I don't have sympathy for trolls, but when I see like real, I'll just call them real people, um, you know, my fellow dietitians who are very smart, you know, um, but when I see them like kind of disregarding it or even criticizing it, I'm just like, oh, I used to be you too. You know, I, I understand. I understand. It takes time, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Time and willingness, you exactly. know? <laughs> yeah. It makes me think of in Florence Gibbons book, uh, You Don't Owe the World Pretty or Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Mm -hmm. She has like a, in the very beginning of the book, like don't criticize people for something you just unlearned, you know? And so I think that's a con. A, a continual process for me is to like be compassionate to people who don't have the information that I at one point didn't have either, you right. know? Yeah, totally. Uh, okay. So, um, shifting gears here again, I feel like we're zigzagging along, <laughs> um, food insecurity and access to fresh foods is a huge issue on our culture. So we touched upon that a little bit at the beginning, but what advice do you give to those feeling guilty for using economical or convenient options like canned, frozen, and packaged foods or people that eat at fast foods? Um, you did touch on this a little bit, but can you go a little bit deeper there? Like, I think even people who have access, who have mm -hmm. more of that privilege, still feel guilty about it. So. Yeah. And, you know, um, that's, that's why I post about it. Um, not a t like not I won't say a ton, but I try to do it often as possible, just because just as a reminder, um, because you know there is this sort of guilt that comes with uh, society. I know 
also with that, a lot of moms also come to me and they're just like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty because I gave my child like canned food or, you know, non-organic or whatever it is. And there's a lot of like mom shaming and all of that. So, you know, it, it really helps, I think, a lot of people just to know that it's okay. So I just want to make it clear, like people, there's a lot of mistrust with our government. And I get that you have to be, you know, like you can't just like willingly trust everyone. But I just want to say our food is very safe. Like our, our government, I know this is hard to believe, but they're not like letting you just eat anything. So, and, and you know, people don't understand all the little nuances around um, what, like why, you know, we're allowed to eat uh, like they're going to just say, cause I've seen this post floating around how there's arsenic in chicken and it's like, um, no, that's not totally correct. <laughs> and plus, you know, there's regulation. So, um, I, I just think there's a lot of misunderstandings and which is, which is very, which is fine, but you know, you have to really acknowledge those misunderstandings and especially with, I I'm not on TikTok, but I've seen like a lot of TikTok videos where people are like posting about, uh, what's in baby food or what's in like, uh, the U S version. I think it, what did that girl say? It was like the U S version of, I think Doritos and like the UK version and how our version is unhealthy and, it's not true. And so basically, uh, back to your question, what I'm trying to say is that we really shouldn't feel guilty because one, you need to, you need to find ways to nourish yourself. That's, that's always important, whether it's the type of foods you, that you eat, but also the way you access them. Um, two, like frozen foods, canned foods, like they're not I'm going to just, this is going to sound weird, but to me, like they're not advertised as being like sexy enough. Like, oh, you got your food from a can. Like, yes, I did. It saved time. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that, you know? So I, I feel like that's also why, like, we're always talking about fresh is best and not always, you know, fresh isn't best if it's sitting in your fridge because you haven't used it. Like if you had some frozen vegetables, you know, they would last longer. So it's really about understanding how to nourish your body, but also how to um, take advantage of the convenience, whatever that means for you access wise, um, you know, whatever it is, there shouldn't be shame around that for sure. Yeah, totally. And like frozen food is frozen at the peak of its ripeness, you know, exactly. and it's freshness. <laughs> um, I used to own a restaurant actually, and I hired a, a chef to come and like train me and consult me because I had left a law firm. Like I had no business being in or buying a restaurant. I mean, it all worked out great and all. Um, but I hired this consultant and he actually told me this because I had the perception again, I was super steeped in wellness culture, mm -hmm. you know, fresh is best. You got to get fresh everything. And he was like, well, if you're buying meat, you need to get the frozen stuff because it's going to be, it's frozen at the peak of it's like, you know, butchering or whatever. And same thing with some of whatever variety of products and stuff. He was like, it's actually going to be better quality if you don't get everything fresh. Exactly. And that was like a radical thought for me. And it's not <laughs> even about health and nutrition. It was just like, in terms of science, you know, <laughs> it was just the best thing on the plate for your peeps. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of examples where aside from the convenience and just, you know, consistently and adequately nourishing your kids and yourself yeah. is, mm -hmm hugely important, you know, if it's not always fresh foods, but are you able to even eat consistently? I think that's huge, you know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So one more fun little question before we wrap up here, what are you most excited about in your life right now? 
Ooh, um, definitely. Um, I think just finding ways to be more accessible to people. Like I'm, I'm trying to build, well, not really, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to build an empire, but just like finding ways to, um, just be, yeah, more accessible. Like, um, yes, I have my social media, but also I really do like the counseling that I do and just, um, really, I love seeing the change like in clients, whenever they come back to me and they're just like, oh my goodness, my views have totally shifted for whatever reason, you know, especially when I work with someone who is recovering from like an eating disorder. Um, it just always like makes me so happy when people are just like, I ate this and I'm okay. And so I just, you know, finding ways like that excites me, you know, about finding ways to just reach more people because, you know, in our little world, like in social media, um, I think that we think that this anti-diet movement is big, but it's not, you know, it, it's, it's, there's still so many people <laughs> who are saying the opposite. Um, so I, I think that it's just really important to find, to find outlets and to reach more people and just to spread the word that eating should be fun. Um, you can literally eat anything that you want to, that is good for you that, you know, obviously I have my saying, eat anything, as long as you're not allergic to it, um, or, you know, medical reasons, whatever, but you can have whatever you want. So I, I think that's really important. And I'm excited about like sharing more of that <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah. Awesome. Shauna, this has been so great. It's been so awesome to chat with you. If people want to connect with you, um, if they even want to learn about working with you, uh, you know, how do you work with people? Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah. So my um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter is all the nutrition tea. Um, pretty easy to find because my website is also the nutrition tea.com. Um, so I'm very, you know, very easy to, <laughs> to remember also. Um, so yes, yeah, so definitely feel free to reach out. And, you know, of course on all my handles, my, um, my website and my contact info is listed. So any questions or anything like that, that's where I can be reached. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Shauna. Thank you. Wait, before you pop off, I just want to know, was this episode helpful for you? Did you get something out of it? If you did, I know that both Shauna and myself would be so very grateful if you were to take a screenshot and share it in your Instagram stories or send it over to a friend who you think would benefit and or possibly leave a ratings and review on iTunes. Those reviews mean so much to me and they really do help keep the podcast going and help it reach more people. So I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. And again, just a quick reminder, if you want to learn how to take care of your health without falling back into restriction, dieting, and disordered eating, be sure to check out Food Body Soul, the membership at foodbodysoul.co. Again, that's foodbodysoul.co. And thank you so much for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod.